0: God today. Come on, I said who's ready? Put your hand on your heart right now. We're going to pray for you right now. In the name of Jesus, God, we just pray that you would prepare our hearts. God, that our hearts would be open to you. That God, that you would touch us in a very special way. God, that our heart would be open to receive your word. That it would not fall on a deaf ear. But God, it would fall on a heart that is open, surrendered and ready for you. God, we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We love you. We adore you. In Jesus' name. Come on, shout amen in the house. Come on, shout amen. High five three people and say, you're looking good. You're looking good. Looking good. We began... A new series last week. And if you missed last week, you need to play catch up. That was a powerful message. Who was touched and challenged last week in the message? And what an incredible response we had at the oldest of people that says, God, I want to know you in a greater way. And I think just after one message, every one of you has seen how powerful and life-changing this series is going to be for every one of us. Talking about the Christian Atheist. The Christian Atheist, because it may describe our walk with God more than we realize or want to admit. Because why it's difficult often to recognize this, especially by those who are infected already. And the theme scripture for this month is Titus 1.16. And really for this series, because we're going to go over into next month too. Our theme scripture is Titus 1.16. And it says these words, They profess to know God, but in their works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. In other words, they say they believe in God, but yet they live as though he doesn't exist. And today I want to talk about those who say they believe in God, but they are still ashamed, caught up in the shame and the guilt of their past. We want to talk today about you living free from your shame. Come on, we want to talk about you breaking free from the shame of Your past, even just preparing this message and sitting down, I've just had such an anticipation and such an excitement in my spirit for the freedom that I really believe that God wants to bring to your life, that you will experience for yourself today because there are so many people that are still caught in the guilt and shame of their past. It grips them. They can't sleep. It's a shadow that hangs over them every day. And I've been praying, I've been seeking God. I've been standing in the gap for you because I'm praying and have been praying that God is going to give you a freedom. I really believe this could possibly be the most powerful message that you will ever hear in your Christian walk up to right now. I really believe that this is going to be a powerful message for you. And my question is this, are you ready? Come on, I I just want you to be a little bit more ready than that. I said, are you ready? Come on, ready for your freedom. We're not talking about someone else's freedom. We're talking about your life. We're talking about your circumstance. We're talking about your situation. So here's the question. Have you ever felt shame in your life? I can answer that for every one of us. Because the answer is yes, 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 yes. At some point in our lives, and maybe even right now, you are dealing with a sense of shame that is overhanging and a part of your life. The shame could be of something small. It could be small. It could be shame because you stole a pencil from someone in your classroom. It could be the shame of telling a lie that you know wasn't right, but you did it anyway. It can be a small thing, but shame can also be a big thing. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've had an affair. Maybe you're dealing with pornography. Maybe you've, you've been charged with a crime. It's a big issue of shame that is hanging over your life. I, I just want you to relax because we're not going fishing there today. If you know what I mean. We're not, we're not wanting you to remember that. We're not wanting to talk about that today. But what we want you to know is this. That God's desire is for you to look forward yes. today. Not to still be controlled and held by your past, but to see that God has died, that you may have freedom from your past and freedom from your shame. And what we're going to see today is this. Shame is a direct contributor to Christian atheism. There's perhaps nothing more powerful that Satan wants to trick us into believing than that we will find ourselves totally consumed with the shame about the decisions and the actions of our lives. And now we begin to believe even that God couldn't love us and why would He love us? Because of those things. And how could He forgive us? And we convince ourselves without the devil even have to lift a finger. Come on, we, we, we don't need the devil to mess with us. We mess with ourselves good enough. And we convince ourselves and we fuel the fire ourselves and we find ourselves locked in a prison of shame. But the problem with shame is this. We don't just hate our past. We hate ourselves equally in the process. Because we hate ourselves for saying that, doing that, being that, being around that, open to that. We hate ourselves equally as much of the, as the shame of our past. And we begin to believe wrongly that there is no hope of escape. It's always the shame for everyone. Come on. It's always the shame for everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. It's the same thing. It's shame, shame, shame. And so many deal with it, not letting go of it, holding on to the guilt and regrets, never fully entering in To freedom. It can be in your finances. A lot of people carry guilt and shame when it comes to that. The guilt and regret of being irresponsible with your spending, getting in debt. Oh man, if only I hadn't signed that car note, oh every week. Carrying that guilt and shame for a decision financially. It can be a sexual sin, a shame that you carry. It can be from sexual abuse. And listen to what sexual abuse can do to you. It can give you a false guilt after suffering as a victim that you begin to believe, oh, you were the reason that happened because that's what the enemy will tell you. It's a false guilt that you now carry the shame of, of something that someone else did to you. It can be secret addiction. As we try to escape the shame, we find ourselves digging in many times to other things that create greater shame and greater pain. Look at this thought. Shame is a cycle of self-recrimination and lies that will claim life after life. That we take it on ourselves. And here's how it happens. And I'm sure you already know the process, but the process of shame is pretty simple. There's actually three steps to shame. The first one is the event, how it happened. For most, it's a painful event. It was a mistake, something, man, uh, if only I hadn't done. It starts with the event. Secondly, it's when we begin to believe the lie that our pain and our failure is who we are. It becomes our identity. It's not just something we did or something that was done to us. It now becomes a part of us. We carry it. We feel it. It becomes who we are. And then thirdly, it becomes that trap where we are trapped in that feeling that we will never be able to recover, never be able to bounce back We are just simply in a state where we don't deserve to be happy. That's what we tell ourselves. That's the process of shame. The event becomes our identity. Then it's a trap that we will never break free from. Listen to the statement from Craig Rochelle. And he says these words. He says, when our past pain becomes our present identity, The shame cycle has claimed yet another victim. When our past pain becomes our what? Who we are. Our present identity. We carry that. It becomes who we are. What's taken place? That cycle of shame. The enemy has claimed another victim. And the last time I checked, God didn't die for us to be a victim. He died for us to be a victor. He died for us to be victorious over sin, death, shame, life, problems, struggles and situations. It's like a scab. Remember when you've cut yourself and especially as a kid, one of the worst things kids like to do is pick scabs. And when you pick that scab, then it prolongs the healing process. It opens up that wound again and it now can become infected. It can become sore again. It bleeds again. It stops the healing. And that's many times what the shame of our lives will do. It's like us picking the scab of that which wants to be healed. Oh, it happened, but it needs to be healed in our life. But we do not allow the healing to take place. And I want you to hear me today. There is freedom and a way out for you. There is freedom for you. And I thank God that the freedom that God has for us is His grace. It's His mercy. It's the other chance that God has for every one of us. Look what the Bible says from Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9 from the New Living Translation. It says these words, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you cannot take the credit for this because it is a gift from God, verse nine. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. Thank God for that. Thank God I can't earn my salvation, and it's not according to what I have done because we could never meet the standard of requirement. And many of us fall so so short in that area as every one of us, because salvation is not the reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it the king james says for by grace you have been saved his forgiveness his mercy and his power comes through his grace in other words despite you Despite your sin, despite your shame, His grace is still fully possible for every one of us. His grace is your freedom. Because a lot of people know grace as just unmerited favour. What I don't deserve, the salvation experience. But that's just a part of grace. God's grace is also the strength that you have each and every day to live the life victoriously that the past does not have to catch up with you any longer. You don't have to be held captive by that any longer. So grace saves us, but grace gives us the power and the ability to remain saved and to live that victorious freedom life that God has. And no matter how uniquely and irreversibly crippling your shame might feel, God has got you covered because God's grace is greater than your shame. Come on now. God's grace is greater than your shame. How do you know that, Pastor? Romans 5 verse 8 says this, But God showed us His great love by sending Christ to die for us while, while, while we were still sinners. We didn't get it right. We were still sinners, the worst of the worst. And what did God do? He sent His Son while we were in that state of shame and guilt. The message Bible says, but God put His love on the line for us by offering His Son in a sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever to Him. What a picture of what our lives was like. We were of no use whatsoever, but yet God saw a purpose. Come on, God saw a purpose in our lives through the shame, through the guilt, through the pain, through the separation, because that's what sin does. God saw something in us that He was willing to send His Son to die for us. Jesus dying upon the cross is the single greatest act of love that this world has ever, ever seen. And that single greatest act of love was just for you. It was just for me. While I was in my sin, the greatest act of love was given just for me. And we've got to come to a place in our lives that we refuse to allow shame any longer. To control our actions, our thoughts and our words. Because it occupies a space that God desires to have and God desires to fill. I love that thought that God desires. We, We have the shame of our failure. We have the shame of our past. But don't see it in that realm anymore. See it as an area God desires to have. What? He can take my mess. Yes, He can. He desires to have that. That's how much God loves you today. It's amazing. We can see the example through two of those that were the disciples of Christ, two who walked with Christ for three, three and a half years on this earth. Two had such shame in their lives. One was Judas. He was the one that portrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He sold out Jesus. But then there was another, Peter. Peter denied Christ. He was the one that denied Him. Listen to me. Two closest to Jesus, or two of those who were close to Jesus, both had opportunities of shame in their life. One, Judas, died as a result of his shame. But Peter what? Peter overcame the guilt and the shame and he found freedom. I wonder which one we'll look at today. Let's look at Peter. Let's look at Peter for a few moments. The one who confessed big. Matthew 26. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is predicting his death and suffering. He's telling his disciples, when this happens, you're going to be scattered. You're going to leave me. You're going to flee. You're going to run. Peter did not like that. Matthew 26, 33 through 35. Peter answered and said to Jesus, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Peter's saying, listen, God, remember, I'm the rock. I've got this. I, I can handle this. I'm going to take care of this. Don't worry. But Jesus turns to him, verse 34, and says to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, right now, soon, Peter, guess what? Before the rooster crows three times, or before the rooster crows, rather, you're going to deny me three times. Luke actually says it this way in Luke 22. Look at it for yourself when you get home. Jesus says these words, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. Satan has desired your life. But listen to what Jesus says. I have prayed for you that your faith may remain despite of what's now going to happen. And you don't know because you don't realize it. But I know the shame and the guilt that you're now about to feel. But Jesus says, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. Why? Because I desire you. I want you. Satan wants to destroy you. But I've got a greater purpose and a greater plan for your life. And so then Peter says in verse 35, he says to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will never, never, never deny you. But later that night, he denies Christ not just once. Not just twice, but three times, just as Christ had predicted. And the last time was to a little servant girl. It's amazing how real life events proved his stand wrong. As a rooster reminded him of the words of Jesus. How awful that must have been. How awful he must have Felt in verse 75, it says this. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus, who said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And look what it says at the end. So he went out and wept bitterly. Wept bitterly. Can you imagine the anguish and the pain? especially when you read the account of Luke chapter 22, because Luke 22 verse 61, I believe it says this, and look, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. As he's denying him for the third time, it's just left his mouth, the cock has crowed. Jesus is looking straight at him. Can you imagine what's going through Peter? Peter. As Jesus makes eye contact. But listen to me today. Because of our guilt and shame. Because of the regret and the pain of what we've done. We can misread and missee the eyes of Jesus. Because when Jesus looked at Peter, he wasn't looking at him saying, See, I told you, you were going to do that. Jesus didn't look at him to condemn him and write him off. But Peter couldn't see through his pain and the shame. But if he could have seen through his pain and the shame, he would have seen eyes of love. That were looking at him saying, come on Peter, come on boy. You can still make it despite what you've done. You can still pull through because I've prayed for you. I'm praying for you that you can be free from the guilt and the shame and the pain of your past. See his eyes of love today. See his eyes of grace. See his eyes of mercy. We don't know how, but we thank God he did. Peter refused to believe the lie that his betrayal branded branded him as a traitor. Somehow Peter came to his senses and said, hold on a second, I, I messed up. I messed up, I did wrong, but that's not who I am. That's not the person I am. Don't let one wrong thing make you all wrong. Come on, the enemy wants to say you did a bad thing, and we can be honest and say we probably did that, but that doesn't make us all bad. Come on now, the enemy wants to tell us that there's no hope, but we got to be like Peter and get up. And we got to get up and say, hey, today can be my hope, today can be my freedom, today can be my new day. Peter, broke. Broken, yes, but what does he do? He repents yeah. and he cries out to God for forgiveness. And after the resurrection, you've got to see this. Miss Nancy, this is one of her favorite verses, I think, in the Bible. It comes from Mark because Mark talks about the ladies who go to the tomb to go and anoint the body of Christ. They show up at the tomb and the tomb is empty. Then they walk in because the stone is rolled away and they see an angel in there and the angel says to them, Mark 6 verse 7, but go and tell the disciples and... Wow, I love that. Come on, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Jesus made sure that the message got through. Come on, Peter, you may be feeling gloom, doom and despair, but God sees your need. He's prayed for you and now he's asking for you by name. That's a picture of the God that we serve. Because he could have easily said, go and get the disciples, but leave out that. Peter, he don't deserve to come. But you know who was longing to hear a word from Christ more than anyone else? Peter, Peter, Peter. You know you're longing to hear a word from God today for yourself. Hear the word. Hear the word. Peter wasn't an afterthought. He was a specific request. You're not an afterthought to Jesus. You are a specific request. And Peter becomes one of the leaders of the early church. That which would touch the entire world. He's the one who stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached and boldly proclaimed the gospel of Christ to thousands that day. Why? Because he refused to be a byproduct of his shame any longer. Through God's grace, Peter repented and understood this, that his tragedy became a triumph. Come on now. The tragedy of his life could become a triumph. Listen to me today. God can take your great mess and God can make it greatness. God's still in the business of changing lives and setting people free from the guilt of their past. So how about me, Pastor? That's Peter's story. What about me? I believe today every one of you, of us can have the same testimony of freedom as Peter did. It's time for you to break free from your past and step into your freedom. To live free from your shame. And God wants to renew your heart and your mind. Remember Romans 12 verse 2, New Living says this, Don't copy the behaviours and the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Listen to me, no longer bound by the shame and the guilt. That's where our thinking is so many times that God says, let me change the way you think. Then you will learn key words there. Because you've got to break free so you can learn. And what are we to learn? The Bible says we're to learn and know God's will for your life, which is good and pleasing and perfect. In other words, God says you've got to learn a new way to think and live. <coughs> Why? Because God has got something great in store for your future and for your life. You've got to change the way you think. You've got to let God Change the way you think. Listen, you need to hear this today. We are not our sins and we are not what others have done to us. God, I'm just going to let that sit. I'm just going to let that sit for a little bit. I'm going to let that simmer for a second. You are not your sin. You did the sin, but you are not the sin. Come on now. You're not what others have done to you. You need a renewed mind, a mind that knows God's will. Come on. A God who says we are his children. We are forgivable. Yeah. We are changeable. Yeah. We are capable. We are moldable. In other words, God has not finished with us yet. Yeah. Nothing is impossible or unattainable to you when you can begin to see beyond beyond your shame. So let's look today how I can live free from shame. Two things. It's a simple thing, really. Two things. It's not 10, it's not 12. It's two things. Number one, accept that which cannot be changed. If I want to live free, I've got to accept the things that cannot be changed. What's that? The past. I cannot change the past. We are powerless over our past, but our past is not powerless over us. We can't go back and alter the course. We can't change what's happened. But yet, what has taken place, past tense, can destroy our life, present tense and moving forward. Look at David. David's one of my favorites in the, New, in the Old Testament. He's one of my favorite people in the Word of God. David sinned greatly. One day he was in the wrong place looking at the wrong thing. He saw a woman. He said, I want that. He called her to his palace. David took what wasn't his to have and he killed in order to obtain it. Because when news came back, she was pregnant. He was like, "Uh uh-oh, being caught. Let me fix that. He brings her husband back. He has this scheme. He has this setup. It doesn't work. So he sends the husband back with orders for his death. He doesn't know. He's carrying the king's message. He's the king's messenger. Wow, he feels important. But little did he know he was carrying his death sentence in his hand. And David kills him. He has him killed in battle. Uriah the Hittite. He's out of the way. It's done. It's covered. It's a big cover-up. Everything's good. Bathsheba, you can come. All is well. I've fixed the problem. All is good. So he thinks. So he thinks. Turn with me to Second Samuel, chapter twelve, because we're going to discover something through second chapter of Second uh, Samuel twelve. It says this. It says, then the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said to him, there were two men in one city. One was rich and the other was poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought up and nourished. And it grew together with him and his children. It ate of his own food and drank of his own cup and it lay in his bosom. It was like a daughter to him. And a traveller came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from one of his own herd to prepare for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, the only thing that he had, and he prepared it for the man who had come. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, if this man is in my kingdom, he shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I had delivered you from the hand of Saul. And it goes on as God talks about his displeasure in the action of David. Four three-letter words. You are the man. So what does Peter do? Does Peter become another Judas who dies in his shame? Or does he become another Peter who breaks free from the shame and the sin of his past and the actions that he's done? I'm glad to tell you today he's a Peter. He breaks free. He breaks free. And we see this as he writes Psalms 51. Psalms 51 is entitled, His Prayer for Repentance. The repentance that he has. In some of your Bibles, it will say the prayer of repentance due to Bathsheba and the sin of adultery. It will spell it out right there. But look what David says in Psalms 51 verse 1. He says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. In other words, according to your unfailing love. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. One version says, remove the stains of my sin. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin or the guilt of what I've done, the shame of my action. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is where? Always before me. My sin is always before me. I want to show you something. Jim's going to come and help me right now. I want to show you an illustration of something right now. Because when I was preparing this message, God showed me something in this message. Come and stand right there in front of me and hold that up high so everyone can see. On both sides of that paper is sins of perhaps your life and my life. And notice what God showed us from his word. David says this, blot out. What does he say? Because what? My transgression and my sin is where? Come on. (laughs) Come on now. What does the enemy want to do? Everywhere we go to work, what do we see? Our sin and our guilt. We're driving in our car. We try and run over here and what? It's still there. Come on. Isn't that how the enemy wants to play? That we try to duck and we try to weave. But what does he do? He wants every day to remind us of the guilt and the shame of our past. Listen to me. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, you know what he said to Satan? He said, listen, buddy, you need to get behind me. You need to get behind me because it is written. There's something else that's been written about my life. Amen. So we've got to start speaking to these things. Why? Because they've got to leave and they've got to flee from us. So wherever I go, the condemnation and the guilt... Some people wake up and they see the guilt every day. They go to bed and it's ever before them. you got to shake free from that. And you can't do it in your own strength. you got to give it to God because He's the one that removes it. He's the one that puts a new word in your heart. and a new God doesn't look at you as a has-been. God looks at you as what you still can be for your life. God doesn't look at you and see used and messed up. God sees something perfect and whole. And something he can use. And David then can go on because he realized I can't live with this guilt in front of me. It's plaguing me. It's making me sick. It's affecting my marriage. It's affecting my finances. It's affecting every area of my life. I can't live like this before. And what does he cry out to God and say, verse 10, God, would you create in me a clean heart? Oh, God, renew a different spirit. Give me a right spirit inside of me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. But he says, restore to me the joy, my joy of salvation. Salvation, may I love living for you again. And you uphold me with your generous spirit. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors. Then I'll be a witness to those who are just like me. And I will show them your ways and a sinner or sinners will be converted to you. You've got to break free from the shame, just not for you, but for those who are around you. Because God says now you can teach other people about the guilt and the shame that you are under, the bondages and the enemies' lies. But you broke free from that and now you can tell other people, and well, what does God say? Others will be converted because of your now great testimony. David never once pretended he was innocent. David never once tried to excuse or justify his actions. Well, at least I'm better than they are. No, no, David didn't play that game. Plus, David refused to allow the guilt trap to rob him from his relationship with God. David knew he couldn't change the past. But he hoped that God could change his future. Listen to me, you cannot undo what has been done. But you can do the right thing from this point forward. You've got to accept the past as the past. You can't undo what has been done. You maybe did the wrong thing. You can't change that. Maybe the wrong thing was done to you. You can't go back and change that. It's been done, but you can do the right thing from this point forward. Because restitution starts with repentance. Us asking for forgiveness. First from God and then from other people. What do we know about God's forgiveness? It's immediate. God forgives us immediately. Unfortunately, the forgiveness of other people is not quite the same. But we don't worry about that. Our number one concern is that we're right with God. And then God will work on them on your behalf. Let me say that again. We make sure it's right with God. And then we trust God because he'll then work with them on our behalf. For so many, it's so hard to accept the past, that it's past. Sometimes it's hard just to leave it there, right where it belongs. Not ever before me again, determining my future, but it's now behind me as a testimony. Listen, it's now behind me as a testimony. People who maybe haven't seen me for a long time, they maybe still know the things that I did. But now those things aren't controlling my life anymore. And now those things are behind me as a testimony to the goodness and the mercy of God. Because what God has done in my life, God can now do for their life. It's not my identity anymore, it's my salvation. It's my testimony of God's saving grace. So number one, I've got to accept the things that I cannot change. And number two, I've got to trust that God can change my future. Come on, God can change your future. God can change your future. While we may still always remember what happened, because it's hard and mostly impossible to forget because we're human beings. And that's Satan's snare. Because he'll say, oh, if God really forgave you, how come you remember those things? Remember, that's his snare, but you're not trapped in it any longer. And Satan wants to retrap you again. The Bible speaks in Galatians, I think. You better watch because you'd better not be ensnared again again. With those sins that God has set you free. Satan wants to come in and he's the accuser of the brethren and he uses your thoughts and he brings back to remembrance the things that you have done. But you've got to remind him now, not of your past, but come on, of your future. And and you better start reminding him of his future too because his future ain't looking too good. We're not to be ignorant. Temptation is real. You need to be here Wednesday night. We're going to talk about how do I deal with temptation from the book of James. It's going to be awesome. You need to be here on Wednesday night. But look at this statement. While we may always remember what happened, we need to believe that we are not what happened. We'll remember it, but we've got to not see ourselves as that any longer because God has changed us. That's not who I am. We are now who God says we are. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I love that anyone. It means anyone has the opportunity. If anyone is in Christ. Come on, every one of us are included in that statement. If any of us are in Christ, he is. Come on, say with me, I am a new creation. Come on, say it like you mean it. I am a new creation. The old things have passed away. Come on, the old, the past, the shame is now dead to me. It doesn't carry any life over me any longer. It's dead to me. It's passed away. And behold, all things have now become new. Not some things. God says all things are still available. No matter the guilt and the shame of your past, we're a new creation and we have new opportunities like we have never sinned. And to live the life for God. You see, when we reject what our shame says about us, we can finally hear what God says about us. And I like 1 Peter 2, 9. Jesus says, you are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a special people. Let me switch to the message Bible. It says this, to tell others the night and day difference he made for you. How he took you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. And then you'll understand Romans 8:28 and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his Purpose, that word purpose there is his deliberate plan and design. What he has prepared for you, what he has set before you. The enemy has the lies that's set before you. But God says, I've got a purpose and I've got a plan that is set before you. And we can know that all things can work together for the good of Christ. If we give those things to him. A broken bone. When it's set and healed is often the strongest point at its fracture. That which was a weakness that's been healed and fixed now can be its strongest point. I believe today that God can take your shame and amazingly redirect the outcome towards your future and success. We've just got to take the steps. We've got to accept the fact I cannot change the past. But I've got to believe that God can change my future. And my future begins today. Last statement, then I want to pray for you today. You've got to be determined that you are no longer a product of your past. But you are an heir to your future. Come on, you're not a product of your past. But you are an heir to the future that you have in Christ Jesus. Just bow your heads all over this place today.
1: We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard. But we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At HeartSeas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp.hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.